0: Giving Credit is a podcast giving those making a difference their credit. On a weekly basis, we'll be interviewing parents, tech CEOs, financial experts, kid entrepreneurs, and others to learn about credit education, financial literacy, and building wealth equity. Thanks for joining us. it, get it. Welcome back to another episode of Giving Credit, and I am so excited to be here with Amanda Slavin, founder of Catalyst View, and one of our amazing advisors for Kitty Credit. Welcome, Amanda.
1: Thank you. I'm obsessed with Kitty Credit, so anytime anytime I can talk about it, I'm here.
0: (laughs) I love that. Um, So I'd love for you to tell our audience a little bit more about you and your background, and, and then obviously want to launch into your story, like your credit and finance story growing up, what your parents taught you. And I know that you are an expectant mom. So thinking about like that connection and how how you're going to translate that into teaching your kids. Absolutely. And I
1: actually already have a two-year-old. So as I was getting to know the Kitty credit team, I was thinking about the future for him and, and now right. for my future daughter. So my background, I have a master's in curriculum and instruction, and mm-hmm. I studied engagement during my, during my master's year, I really wanted to focus on what it looked like for a student to learn in the classroom. And so um, my colleagues and I created a framework that was really focused on, again, measuring engagement with these seven levels of engagement. And I then shortly after left education and went into hospitality and nightlife and opened restaurants all over the country wow. <laughs> um, and applied that framework uh, to understanding what, what customer engagement looks like. And I, I realized that it was actually very similar. It was all around garnering attention, trust, connection. And then I, I shortly after, a few years later, um, after I became partner in the group, I, I ended up meeting my my business partner, Tony Shea, who was the CEO of Zappos, and, um, and then my best friend, Robert Fowler. And the three of us started Catalyst Creative, which was a creative marketing agency really focused on using that understanding of engagement to deepen relationships for brands and startups and <clears> – <throat> sorry – uh, all, all different types of people that are really really looking to connect more deeply with the people they cared about. So I did that for, uh, well, now it's been 10 years. And mm-hmm. I took that, that thesis, turned it into a book called The Seventh Level, and then applied that way of thinking rather than selling fish. We mm-hmm. wanted to teach people how to fish. So mm-hmm. we just turned that into a learning platform, Catalyst U, and um, partnered with HubSpot and have actually offered a free curriculum version of that to 1,500 professors all over the world. And I'm kind of back into education in a a really amazing (laughs) way. So yes, so I've always been really passionate about changing the way we learn. And I've always felt that the classroom was not within the four walls Mm -hmm. of a class. And so that was also what drew me to Kitty credit was a whole new way of educating the future, the future learners. And also my, my biggest thing with learning is um, equity and inclusion in terms of any, every single child has the potential to learn and to grow, and it's our job as educators and as parents and as adults to see that potential and help them meet that um, you know meet, meet their goals and their dreams. So Kitty credit's doing that.
0: Yeah, I could not agree with you more. Uh, I think that's what drives all of us to do this work, right? Because uh, it's it's not just work, it's fun and it's something that we really love and feel passionately about. So you can share as much or as little as you want, but I always find this is the most interesting question on this podcast is what is your backstory with finance and credit?
1: Um, well, I grew up in a very wealthy town. And we definitely were, you know, my my dad's job shifted quite a bit after tech, he was a stockbroker and mm. the internet came about and, and things kind of shifted about a bit for him when. People didn't really need stockbrokers as much anymore because they had E-Trade and, you know, things changed. And so we ended up uh, definitely, you know, I think trying to make it work for as long as possible in that town. And a large part of that was using credit cards Mm -hmm. to do Mm -hmm. so, to try to kind of keep up. Uh, and it ended up, we ended up moving about three times after that. And, and really, you know, we transitioned out of that house and had to kind of rebuild our lives from we, I mean, my parents had to rebuild their lives from scratch because it just, you know, I think trying to keep up with a lifestyle that just didn't fit where we were anymore, just wasn't really working. And I think now I have a lot more, a lot more perspective because, I'm probably reaching a similar age to what my parents were versus wow. the way that I talked about it when I was was younger was very disconnected from the logical, rational parts of self of like, yeah. okay, well, we have to do this, this, and this in order to keep our kids in the school and for them to be around their friends and for them to have a normal life in the way that, you know, they've always known. So, you know, it was really a jarring experience to kind of lose my house and change towns and start over and, Mm -hmm. It was a very small town and uh, I was like, I knew everyone. And then I had to kind of, you know, start from scratch and over and over again. But it was, it was definitely for me, what I would say is because of that experience, we didn't really, and I think this is also just a generational thing. We didn't really talk about you know how to understand money. I mean, yeah. I've always, I've always kind of, from my grandma. My grandmas were three generations of New Yorkers, and my great grandparents came, you know, through Ellis Island. Wow. And my grandma's one of eleven, and she lived in a two bedroom apartment in Lower East Side. Uh, and my grandma's just, my grandma worked until she was in her nineties. So my whole life, I've kind of seen what it's looked like to just work really, really hard forever. Yeah. Um. And and also then spend like not necessarily from my grandma's perspective, but just like, also I see what it looks like to spend money. Yeah. So I was really scared to actually get a credit card. I didn't have, I refused to get a credit card for myself until I was probably in my, I had, I had like a, my parents' credit card that was, you know, kind of a disconnect because of what they were going through financially. Um, so I didn't have my own credit card until my mid twenties. Mm -hmm. Um, because I just wanted to spend what I had. And I was really, really nervous. And my my first boss, actually, as a part of that restaurant group, told me to open a uh a Roth IRA and told me to start putting money aside and he was the one that actually told me to save even though he was paying me nothing. Uh, <laughs> he was like you should save but we're going to pay you very little but find a way to save. Oh my um but what I then did was you know I started saving money and then at when I started to make a lot of commission from the from the restaurant group because I was booking all the events and you know I was I was doing all of the marketing and all the events so wow. I kind of I think I booked a million dollars of events in the first uh, oh the gosh. first holiday season, I was 23 years old. Um, and so I started making, getting commission checks and instead of kind of buying, you know, nice clothing or a Chanel bag, I I invested in the restaurants. So I kept kind of thinking, and I, I, I know I was saving a bit. And then finally, when I opened my own company, I'm saying finally, I was 26 years old. Um, <laughs> I realized that credit was not a bad thing Mm. because I had paid for my car with cash. You know, I was like waitressing around the clock working, you know, in, in education. I was a camp counselor, which was also a cash job. So it was just a bunch of cash that I had that I was constantly paying for the things I needed with. Um, and once I became, you know, again, had a, had a company, I realized that you need credit. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to lean into, this is again, I'm 26 years old. This is like, wow, I'm old at this. I'm old at this point in the, in the, you know, perspective of, not really knowing much about how credit worked in terms of good or bad. Mm. Um, But I started to lean into that. And for my, for my business, you know, business credit, personal credit. um, And that's when I I really started to learn just by default, I had to learn. So it wasn't ever something I, I don't think I ever actually had a conversation with my parents of like, I never looked at them as, Oh, I want to learn from them from, yeah. What, yeah. yeah well, you from learned them. from and them
0: I, by observation and what you yeah. had to live through. Yes.
1: And then yeah. too, I don't think that they really wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it was just so much for them to deal with. So yeah, it's definitely been a journey. That was also what really inspired me about kitty credit. And that's what I said. I said, you know, I, I have a lot of trauma around credit and what, I've seen it do also to the country. And mm-hmm. you know, I think that if we can educate, you know, the future on what credit could do for you in terms of a positive way, we really are changing the landscape of what it means to be financially sound and financially educated. And so that was another thing I was really passionate about with Kitty Credit.
0: Nice. Yeah, I think you know, it's it's that combination of I you see so much intergenerational trauma and work around money yeah. and around finance, depending on if you know you have people who grew up, grandparents, great-grandparents in the depression, who was an immigrant. Yeah. My mom Hold was on. an immigrant and I, she didn't know anything about credit or money and she did well with it, but she didn't. I think also past generations didn't want to talk about it. They didn't talk about money and that's, we have to d- demystify the whole process, right? And that's where Kitty credit and teaching kids and the educational components that you've been talking about help so much.
1: Yes. Yes. Both my parents, I mean, both my grandparents were, were in the great depression. My grandfather was significantly impacted mm. by it. And yeah, I think it, it's passed on, right. You know, and then, and that's where we, as in this next generation of millennials or elder millennials or whatever I am, I call myself elder (laughs) millennial, uh, we're really more transparent and we're more open with our kids. And there's, we have access to so much information and so many resources. And that's what I said to my mom, even a few days ago, when she was with my child, I said, you know, there were things that I dealt with as a kid, that she and my dad were just like, okay, well, that's just who she is. Versus now you, there's a million mom blogs and social media and podcasts and you get to learn so much and then tailor all that information that you need to help to exactly. help your child. So it's the same thing with financial literacy and, and financial conversations. And the other thing about it is that my dad left home and worked and then came home at 8.30 at night and I had no connection or relationship to mm-hmm. him in, in work. And actually, funnily enough, I actually hired my dad. Um, years ago. And this was now, yeah, he helped me. He really helped me with my business. We worked together for about three years. Uh, So that was, that was, we healed a lot, actually, like a lot, a lot from from the past. But now, like speaking of even that relationship, work is so integrated into our life. So my son sees me working and then going back to him and and so on and so on. So I think the, the conversations around money shifts because it's front and center versus like separate from From your role as a family.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so I want to dig into that a little bit. I have a 13-year-old. So she's kind of aged out of the Kitty Credit family, but we talk about investing. She has, you know, an e-trade account and did did the good old like invest in the things that she likes. (laughs) So like Dunkin' Donuts. I (laughs) did do
1: that with my dad because he was a stockbroker. So I do remember doing that. He did teach me about stocks.
0: Yeah. So she's (laughs) she's learning things, and she and I have very frank conversations about. How much money can you spend on books on Amazon Kindle this month or this week? Or do you need to wait until I get paid? Or, mm. you know, here's your pocket of money that you can spend on things. Um, and so yeah. we do have those continuing conversations. Uh, and I will say that the app and, and being part of this team has really helped me with that, too. And you you're on the other side. You have, you know, younger and on the way. So what are you doing now to instill some of those values around money and finance in your kids? That's, you know,
1: I think it's, my son is so little and he barely, I mean, I think we, we take, my son is so intentional and so aware mm. that sometimes I think we put too much pressure on him because he's not even two yet. And <laughs> we are like, use your words. And I'm like, he only has like 40, 50 words, Jonathan, to my husband. I'm like, you have hundreds and hundreds of words. And sometimes you even have problems communicating. So imagine. this <laughs> um, But I think, you know, I think for, for him, it's really about appreciation of the things he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, when, no matter what, it's like making sure that he is saying please and thank you for everything. And also that he's not always going to get what he wants. So if we're at a store, it's not like, you know, he can say, like, this was a few days ago, we went to Whole Foods and there were trucks. He's like, truck, truck, truck. I'm like, we're like, you already have 10 trucks. Like, yeah. You do not need another truck. And he's a very little. I said, you have trucks at home. You have trucks at home. Like, that's what you're going to do. And if he's like smashing his toys all around, it's like, mm. you need to appreciate what you have. And one time I did try to explain something to him where I said, like, some people have no toys. And he was like, no toys, no toys, no toys. He was like, very didn't understand it. He was like, really. And, you know, and I think for him, again, it's, it's so difficult to wrap your head around anything at that age. But I do think it starts with appreciation. And it also starts with this is not, I mean, truly, this is not your money. Like, this is my money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, and sometimes we make jokes, like he'll ask for the check at the restaurant. I'm like, oh, do you want to pay? Like, that's nice. Like, what are you going to do to help support this family? Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Um, but, you know, I do think it's, it's, it's about really... Recognizing that when your parents are working, yes, it, you are entitled to certain things. And yes, you are able, you know, you are able to get the things that we value, that we place value on. But that does not mean you can just get anything and everything that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, when you do have the things that you don't just throw them around and throw them away as if they don't matter because you're on to the next thing. So I think teaching those lessons initially changes your relationship to money in general mm-hmm. because then you start to recognize, you know, money is is a source of, again, value. Whatever you're spending that money on, you're placing value towards. So it's not just a free-for-all of spend money everywhere and anywhere and do it thoughtless, you know, in a yeah. thoughtless way. Yeah. It's be intentional. So that's kind of what I think we're nice. we're starting with.
0: I love that. I think that's really important, um, that intentionality. I remember when my daughter was little, I would say, okay, you can't, oh, you can't play with these presents until you write your your thank you notes. Even if it was like, even if she was like Mm. super little and just could draw a little picture, right. Or for her birthdays, I would ask people to bring a toy or a stuffed animal or something to donate or like make her clean out stuff and donate stuff before she got new stuff. Mm. So I, I, I think it's so important as parents to be intentional in how we show up. And I completely agree with you that starting with these things, just the gratitude and the that, okay, you don't get everything and this is not really your money. This is my money. Mm -hmm. And we can, you know, maybe you'll get something sometimes, but that intentionality is a great way to get your little children started on that path.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, for him too, We he has to clean up every, like after he's done with toys, he actually sings the cleanup song to himself Ah. and starts to (laughs) clean up. He doesn't really, he's like, clean up, clean up. Uh, But, you know, we he knows like, every single time he's done, we're putting everything away. And again, that's that appreciation for what we have versus the constant, I think, especially from being an entrepreneur for the past 10 years and and really knowing a lot of very successful entrepreneurs that have just continued to raise money. And now they're all worth a billion dollars, more than a billion dollars. And it's just very easy to get into that rat race of we need more, we need more, we need more. And it's, it's taking Mm -hmm. a minute and saying, I do appreciate what I have and I'm going to think again, more intentionally with what I do actually need versus just what I want all of the time. Uh, so I, I do think you can start, you can start young. And I love the idea of the thank you notes.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So if you had a hundred thousand dollars to use, however you wanted, what would you do?
1: Mm. I want to like answer the real way, but not like the way that I would make me. No, look answer the real way. Uh, you know people what I'm saying it's like I'm like I would donate it, and to think about like what I actually do spend money on before I say what I would spend. <laughs> on. Uh, so it's like an extra hundred thousand dollars that just came to me just, out of nowhere, and I yeah, have, and it just flew into your lap.
0: It, there's whatever. no ties. You can do whatever you want with it. Some people have said they'll invest in real estate, invest yeah. in their companies, pay off debt. You know,
1: it's so weird that it's hard for me to think of that response because I now my mind has been like save as much. I, I, so that's kind of, I think I've gone the opposite route of my parents, right? Like when I get money, I either invested in startups nice. or I save it. Yeah. Um, so, and and I think that I probably should actually spend a little <laughs> bit more um, and, and be open to that. So, I mean, oh, here's the crazy thing about $100,000. I think again from owning a business for so many years and from also seeing living in the city mm-hmm. and being around the east coast I'm right outside of New York $100,000 doesn't actually go
0: <laughs> very, very far. far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: so it's it's such a weird number to think about of like okay how would I spend this? I probably would spend it, you know, a bit on maybe we would, you know, we're thinking about right now we have to move to a bigger place because I'm having another baby so I'd probably put money into uh, into a place like maybe maybe, I don't think I would even buy right now, to be honest with you. This is like, I know too much. I'm like, it's not really a great market, it's, it's a horrible market right now for, like for, for buyers. It's way more of a seller's market. So, you know, I probably put a, a portion in some, maybe some, a startup or two that I'm, that I've been eyeing that I, you know, I've been kind of stopping with angel investing. Hmm. I'd probably put some into savings, which is really just again, for my son, I'd probably put, we pay off like a little bit of debt. Cause we try to like, keep money in savings mm-hmm. and, and credit. So like we pay off, you know, just like pay off the credit card just so that then we give it more money in savings. Um, and then, yeah, maybe I'd like buy some artwork or something. I should nice. have a better response. I should, I'm going to think a about bit <laughs> my husband about it. I, oh my gosh. It's so funny. No, but I
0: love the fact that you admitted that, you know, too much. So you're like overthinking it almost. Yeah. Because, like Cause I almost wanted to interject and say a hundred thousand dollars. You don't have to pay taxes on it. Like it's just free. <laughs> but it's like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars.
1: It's like, I think I've seen this with raising money for a business. Like it goes away so quickly and, yeah. you know, and that's where I think money is. We put so much power into money, but if it's not used wisely, it doesn't really work. Yeah. You have to, you have to make it work for you. So I would like take a minute and be like, I don't, I don't know what I would do. Like, let me think about it for a second. And and I would, you know, and this is like, I think if you were like, you've been given a hundred million dollars, what do you want to do? And I'd be like, oh, yeah. I would give millions and millions of dollars to reinventing the education system. Like w- that would be, th- that would be my first oh, nice. thing I would do. And then I would buy multiple houses and invest. And then I would, yep. buy- so like, I think that's actually easier. for sure I love that else. though. You're thinking bigger.
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's so the East coast, I think has really messed with me too, because real estate here is so disturbing and like a hundred thousand dollars in New York city can get you like a chair. And yeah. it's so depressing and upsetting that I know that that money can change so many people's lives. I would probably give it away to someone that really needed it. That's what I will say. That's what I would, that's what All I, would, right. I <laughs> would like it. I would, if you're giving it away, I would totally love it. But I probably would like, would definitely try to find someone that's starting a company that has not really gotten the opportunity to get investment that I really believe in and I'm passionate about. They've just like not been given the chance and I'd probably give invest in them. I probably, again, still want, to have vested interest in, in their organization and take, like, give them like twenty thirty thousand dollars 30000 Yeah. And then use the rest for other stuff. Oh, that's
0: awesome. Come back to me in a few weeks. All right. <laughs> uh, we can do that. We can do that. Um, and it, just side note, yeah, I live in um, the Los Angeles area.
1: So yeah. I understand. And I,
0: but I grew up in Kansas and I've lived, I moved from LA to Houston for a while. And then I moved back to LA. And in Houston, I was so excited at the home prices. And then I quickly realized, like, Oh, you can't really talk about it because this is still a lot of money in the Midwest. Um, and so our our yes. perspectives get so skewed being on the coast, oh. and we're like, Yeah, for this little sandbox, this cost a million dollars, but I can get like three times the house for half the price. You know, it's I lived in downtown Vegas and we ha- the house we had and what we paid
1: yeah. was so outrageous it w- in comparison to New York that I think again, if, if I lived in Las Vegas and you were like, what would you do with hundred thousand dollars? I'd be like, I will buy a house. Yeah. Like that's what that's I easy. would do. <laughs> so it, it's, it does, is actually really interesting to think of that, right. It depends on your area and it depends on your, where you are in terms of your life and what you're looking to accomplish and achieve. Um, but yes, Las Vegas was the place to be if you wanted mm-hmm. to invest in real
0: estate. Nice. So what kind of people are you looking for, for a catalyst? You um, it's open to just, can anybody go through courses or how does that work? Yes, great question.
1: So, you know, so Catalyst Creative, again, was an agency that worked with with a multitude of brands and companies and startups. Catalyst U right now has one course, but we're actually launching 14 more courses. Cool. So using my framework with these seven levels of engagement, the first course is a roadmap to helping you build your business and deepen engagement with your customers. That is for anyone and everyone. It can be for Mike girls who actually took it, uh, took the <laughs> course, or it can be for, you know, for Evan, like the au- actual entrepreneur who founded the organization. It could be mm-hmm. for anyone within a small company, for a big company to think more like an entrepreneur. It's it's how, to, how do you think creatively? How do you identify problems and come up with solutions in order to be able to deepen engagement and understand that there are seven levels of engagement? So that's the first course. And then the, the remaining courses will be with thought leaders talking about whatever they're experts in, and mm-hmm. we break it out into the levels. So if you want to learn about growth hacking or creative marketing or social media or- nice personal branding, it's all there. So it's really, yes, I, I don't like saying it's for ev- everyone and anyone. I think it it's really what I'd be most excited about is for entrepreneurs. I mean, people that are looking to have a business or start a business or, and when I say entrepreneurs, it's not just people who are the founders, but like mm-hmm. people who are a part of startups that want to help grow a company. I would love for everyone and anyone to take it in that regard. And then the last thing I would say is students. I mean, we work with HubSpot, as I mentioned, but this next generation of students, they think like entrepreneurs yeah. and they they really want to, you know, I was hustling on the side again. I keep thinking that hundred thousand dollar question. If you asked me that 15 years ago, I'd be like, oh my God, I would do a million things. Like <laughs> 10, even 10 years ago, like seven years ago. I mean, like, I, I you know, it was such and when I was 16 in that really, really dire situation, I'd be like, pay our bills, we'd still be in debt, but pay our bills and try mm-hmm. to get out of out of where we are. Um, and I think that we can help students go after their dreams and also make money by mm-hmm. teaching them the skills they actually need to do so. Yep. And that's what this course is. So nice. anyone that wants to make money and grow a business.
0: <laughs> Which I think is um, almost everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. so yes, everybody <laughs> can take it. Um, and what is the easiest way for people to find Catalyst U and you and yourself on social media, website, LinkedIn?
1: Yep. Uh, Catalyst you as in the letter U.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's my social media of choice, Amanda Slavin. Nice. Or you can go to my website, amandaslavin.com. But LinkedIn is is more enjoyable for me. If you message me, I'm happy to talk about anything and everything and, and support you. Uh, yeah. And those are probably the two best places.
0: Awesome. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. It was just really refreshing and lovely to speak to you today and learn a little bit more about you. And thank you to our listeners for coming back for another week of giving credit. We can't wait to be back again with you next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Kitty Credit, a mobile app designed to educate children on the credit system by completing chores. Now available in the App Store and on Google Play. For more information, Go to kittycredit.com, K-I-D-D-I-E-K-R-E-D-I-T.com.